Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about new listings data, purchase apps, and the end of the savagely unhealthy housing market. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. A lot to talk about this time. We knew that this was going to be a week of big economic reports. But to me, one of the biggest things was on Tuesday of this week, you you announced the savagely unhealthy housing market is over. So tell us yeah. why, what you, why you're saying that. Listen, I'm I'm a I'm very simple. Actually, no, I'm not very simple. But in in this case, I'm very simple. I I'm a days on market guy, and uh, talking about how many days does it take to sell a home? And I've I've always stood by this premise: nothing good happens in the housing market when days on markets are a teenager. Um, that was the whole concern going into 2020 to 2024. Again, if you are a functioning human being. You have the ability to read or visually see. You can see that total inventory has been slowly moving down for 10 years, which people just decided not to read. And then when – so the, the the concept is very simple. When you break to all-time lows in inventory, which by the way, today still the NAR uh, total active listings is 980,000. It's under a million still. Uh, even if sales are just basically flat from the pre-cycle trends, you have still more people looking for less product. I mean, it's it's a basic human function past second grade education. You you would, you can understand this by not even you know uh, being an economist. The problem is that years twenty twenty to twenty twenty four really good demographics rates were low, so days on market got to a really bad level. And I think that the my work is so much different than everyone else's in the sense that. Last year at this time, all hell was breaking loose in housing. We went from an unhealthy market to a savagely unhealthy market. January, February, and March of last year, um, the multiple bids started to get worse and worse, right? So the sub 4% housing market, you know, people have more buying power. It wasn't because it was record-breaking demand. In fact, the sales trends were actually falling last year. It's just too many people chasing too few goods. So the February upgraded it to the savagely unhealthy housing market because the days on market have to go up. So I've stayed consistent with that. I said, we need to get above 30 days, right? So if we get above 30 days, I'm throwing a party. So I threw a party last night. You know, days on market is <laughs> over 30. We're good, right? We, we got to that point. So I, I can't get my national inventory levels back to pre-COVID while the days on market are too low. So this is a huge positive in my mind of trying to get back to what we call as a B&B housing market, boring and balanced, right? Uh, uh, less bidding wars positive. Now, of course, there's parts of the US that we've seen these uh, uh, people talking about bidding wars. I got eight or nine people. Yes, there's parts of the United States of America that are well below 2019 levels. So you get a slight demand increase and again, remember, we, we are an educated society. If you have sales trends running the same as the last 10 years and you have less product, what happens? Right here, it's just to show you how crazy it is, you got a little surge in demand and we're already having bidding wars. Why? Because total inventory levels are near all-time lows. And that's one of the things I've tried to stress. I mean, I, I consistently fight people on Twitter who practically lie to people's faces 
and uh, you could just see it. And this is what happens when you get just a little bit of an increase in demand and bidding wars start again. I do think it's it's good to clarify. You're not saying, oh, wow, the housing market is great. All of our problems are solved. All you're saying is you're taking off the savagely unhealthy label because of days on market, but it's not like inventory is getting better right now. Well, it, it, inventory has increased from last year, but we're like near record lows. So it, in a higher mortgage rate market, the buying power is less. So uh, I, I think the fu- the funny part is uh, people who know me, I always talk about the 4 million level for the existing home sales market. I said, okay, we have a line in the sand post-1996 and it's 4 million. COVID-19, the bottom 4 million. Yesterday, 4 million. Okay, that's like luck. But we've got here at 4 million and yet we are also seeing bidding wars, right? And people said, no, it's the Federal Reserve. There's no such thing as low inventory. Remember, all low inventory deniers are all anti-central bank people, so they're going to lie for the rest of their lives. That's fine. But here, you just have a little bit of increase in demand in a low inventory. What, what happens is that you get bidding wars again. Um, but the days on market is above 30 days. So what's the difference? This year, the year-over-year price growth is 1.3%. Last year, we're dealing with like 20% year over year. So the days on market being back just to normal, like like a, to give you some context, the median days on market in 2011 was over 100 days, right? We had majors, uh, we, had, we had a ton of supply back then and demand was weak. Here, we're just above 30 days, 33 days. Last year at this time was 19 days. Home price growth is 1.3% 1, 1. year over year. This is what I call boring and balance gets you back to your normal market. You can't get there unless you get the days on market to grow. So I'm completely happy the savagely healthy, done, gone, end of story. The only thing that I'm waiting for is just to get total inventory back to 2019 levels, which is 1.52 to 1.93 million. Uh, that's the four decade low of inventory. But I get, I wasn't a low inventory guy in the previous expansion. I just get there. I'm completely fine. Hopefully everyone could understand now how important days on market is and, you know, the historical context of uh, total uh, inventory levels going back to 1982. Okay. Well, this is a really good segue into one of the things I wanted to ask you about, which is part of the inventory equation is like sellers who are traditionally buyers looking and saying, yes, I want to buy in this market, or I think there's going to be something for me to buy in this market, which again, brings us back to inventory. And you and I talked in the fall about the idea of a mortgage rate lockdown. You didn't like the idea then. You said you never believed in it, but you were you were willing to entertain the fact that that could happen if certain things happen. So now I know that you feel like this is not a mortgage rate lockdown. So tell me. I am, I am officially killing the name mortgage rate lockdown. I don't okay. think you get to officially yes, tell. I, I am, can use it if I, I am want to. executing the term mortgage rate <laughs> lockdown. Okay, because okay, so I I understand. What what are the things I I've talked about when you know when we were touring last year, Sarah, is at these events. I say, well, I don't believe in the mortgage rate lockdown premise unless these three things happen. Number one, mortgage rates you know get to all time lows. Check that happened. Then second of all. Um, Mortgage rates have a a, a a big increase, not the one to one and a half percent that we're sometimes accustomed to within a cycle. I'm talking like two and a half to four and a half percent. Never really happens in recent history, but it occurred. Check and then three. It, it has to also happen at a time where home prices aren't collapsing. You're not getting the benefit of uh, declining home prices to offset the rates. You're just you know here it is. People are like, okay, rates went up a lot. Home prices aren't down. 
the it's an affordability issue. But I've, I'm officially executing the concept of the mortgage rate lockdown for a reason. But I don't understand because like, I think all three of those things are true. I, 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 all that is true, but this goes back into like my work from like seven, eight years ago, total housing costs, um, fixed debt costs, rising wages. So when mortgage rates got to 5% in 2018, it didn't create any inventory. And then in 2019, when mortgage rates went below 4%, it didn't create any more inventory. There's this equilibrium between buyers and sellers and how fast you could sell product, right? So, so sometimes you just list a home, it's sold, it doesn't even come into the inventory channels. The reason I don't, I, I'm executing the mortgage rate lockdown premise, the term, I, I hate it now, I hated, it, I hated it back then, I hate it even more now, is that it's not so much of the mortgage rate, it's the total housing cost. So we had this issue before COVID because it's, it's a first world problem. Americans are doing really well. And nobody wants to admit it because they can't grift out on social media if they keep on telling everyone's poor. So um, because 2018 and 19 data didn't really increase inventory here, because total housing costs are so low, Americans really are just like, whatever, I'm not going to do I'm not going to do a damn thing. And they shouldn't in that sense, right? When you have such a good situation, and this has been here, this has been happening for a very long time. This is even before COVID. And the reason I don't want to do the mortgage rate lockdown, I, I, I don't want to use that term ever again, is that it implies that it's the nominal rate that actually keeps people. It's the total housing costs that are keeping people very comfortable in their lives. And some people can move and sell, and it's not a problem for them. Even at 7% rates or 6% rates, they're okay. So I don't want to, I, 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 I've executed that, that verbiage out of my vocabulary um, because total housing costs versus people wages where they are today. You bought a home at 33, you're 49 right now. You've lived in that home a very long time. Your wages have gone up. You make more money at 49 than you did at 33, but your housing costs stayed the same. You refinanced a few times. You can make the case, well, the cost is even much lower. Not only the nominal rate is lower, but the amortization starts over again. So your your payment is really low. But I, I just I, I I've never liked a term, and I just I'm I'm just sticking to how I look at it now. It's always about total housing costs because there are people buying and selling and moving all the time. It's just that we haven't we've had this ten year period where people are just have long term fixed products and their wages keep on increasing, so they're doing really well. And even before COVID, the same similar situation happened in 2018 and 19. And this is why I, I don't like to use the term mortgage rate lockdown because back then it didn't we didn't get inventory with higher rates or lower rates. People are just sitting in their homes longer and longer because they're doing well. The, the the structural dynamics of housing uh, um, is is so much different because it's been so long since we've had a. I mean, we had the longest economic and job expansion in history with fixed long term debt. You know, your best hedge against inflation was your 30-year fixed mortgage, right? Your wages go up a lot more during an inflationary period, but your, you know, debt cost didn't. And that to me, to me explains it because I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it this way. Mortgage rates have fallen twice now, uh, from six and a quarter to five percent last year before rates went to seven point three seven percent. And then this last uh, uh time we went from seven point three percent to five point nine nine percent, except 
the headline rate that we're seeing, people are closing deals with rates 4.75, five and a quarter, lower than what we're doing. Um, the total housing cost is where that's really important. And total inventory new listing data is, we just saw this in the tracker, is the lowest levels ever in history. And that's with rates falling. So um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna use the term mortgage rate lockdown ever again, um, and and I'm just you it's just there's nothing rates are falling and we're not even getting anything on the new listing side either, so we can get people to start moving if the total housing cost for them makes sense. But if it doesn't make sense for people that don't need to move, then what are we expecting people to do? Right. I guess from my perspective, though, Logan, I, I see what you're saying. And you're saying that, you know, if if mortgage rates went down, we wouldn't see this flood of inventory. And I, I agree with that. But I also think when you talk about fixed mortgage, you know, fixed housing costs, that's because they have a low rate. So how is that not be- part of be- it? Because the wages increasing never gets discussed and the, the nominal rate does. Um, and I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion that everyone thinks this is a post-COVID phenomenon. This has been here for years. So I don't want to cheapen the economic cycle by using a marketing gimmick called the mortgage rate lockdown. I want to execute it. And I want I want the discussion to evolve. I want evolution economic theory to evolve that this is a total housing cost because we have many years now, right? Even before COVID, where we've seen this structural dynamic change. Uh, and I can't sit here and look at the new listings data while rates were falling and demand was, you know, getting better and the new listings data was is negative year over year. So, uh the total cost and again, how do you know this from each individual? You don't. Each individual has their own uh dynamic, but what we've seen is that people are doing really well and then when their total when rates come down to a certain level, it's the equity they sell for the house to buy another one. Something to that nature, because a, a first-time home buyer that's renting does not have a mortgage rate lockdown. It's just a, a, a it's just an affordability issue. So, um, yeah, I'm not I, I'm 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 not going to show that term the respect anymore. And every time it comes out of my mouth, I'm going to say I want this executed from the discussion because I think we've created a environment here where people just simply forgot what happened from 2012 to 2019 and. Uh, uh, if they want to use the nominal rate as the factor, I think that goes against the fundamentals of how residential financing works with people who have fixed debt costs and rising wages. And then the inflationary period, your wages rise even more. So yeah, your cash flow has even got better. And yes, you did refinance, but but I, I no, I'm I'm not I'm not using that term anymore. Okay, well, uh, we I might still use that term and, and ask other people. That's fine. We could argue we about can. this all the time, but that I, that that's that, that's that's because fine to with me, me the caveat there is the fact that yes, we did have um, a decrease. Now I can't I can't speak to 2018, 2019, what you're talking about there in the in you know in the post COVID world we had those decreases in mortgage rates, but it, it wasn't sustained. So it takes a little bit for people to feel like, oh, okay, this is a safe environment. I can go ahead and sell because I'm going to want to buy. And we just didn't have it. I mean, it was a couple of weeks, maybe maybe four weeks that we had a, a you know mortgage rates going down. Here's here's the longer term look at it. Um, 
when we talk about housing tenure from 1985 to 2007, it was five to seven years. From 2008 to 2023, it's 11 to 13 years. Some parts of the US, 15 to 18 years. There is a bigger story here to be played. And I, I feel like if I use the term mortgage rate lockdown, I'm cheapening the historical um, evidence that long-term fixed financing creates a stabilization environment for people to live in their homes and that the fanatics of our country, who are middle-aged men stock traders, um, who... Uh, don't understand this because in their own lives, they're always on leverage and they're always scared for some reason. Uh, this was the whole concept of housing in America. Fixed long-term costs, your wages rise, you live your life. And I think that the mortgage rate lockdown is going to cheapen that. That's why we're going to argue about this for many years, Sarah. But um, if the total housing cost is cheaper, then some people will move. If the total housing cost is not there, right? Just because the home prices accelerated uh, uh, in the biggest fashion in recent history. So the nominal rate does not actually create more inventory as it's gone lower. We've had this twice now. It's just that people are doing really good. The total housing cost now is more expensive. So that has to readjust itself for some people to to sell uh, a, 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 and move. And you know, it's again, I say this is a first world problem. And um, uh, but that was how residential financing was designed. Uh, other countries don't do this. Uh, there, you have a lot of panicky homeowners in Canada, Norway, and by the way, much love to the Canadians. You know, you boosted us into the uh, to like almost the top thirty for the podcast in Canada, um, where these these countries have short term rates and recasts and everything, and we don't. Uh, we have fixed long term rates. Now, of course, our rates are. Are going to be higher uh, in a zero interest rate environment, and that that gave those countries a lot more buying power. And then you could see how their home prices have accelerated more than ours. But in this case, um, uh, it, it was a very very good product, and it's boring, Sarah. Boring is a good thing, right? Uh, we don't want exotic loan debt structures or any creative financing. Uh, this is this is how it should be, and I and and uh, days on market are above thirty days. You know, you get a little bit more inventory growth. I'll be fine. And the reason I want one point five two million is you get a little bit of buffer, right? And when you get a little bit of buffer, that means if demand picks up again and homes start to go down, at least you have something to work with. Uh, parts of the country d- did not have this buffer when rates came back down, and that's how you saw the bidding wars pick up. Well, I, I really respect that um, perspective. So um, a couple of things have happened since the last time we talked on the podcast. So we've already talked about one of them, Days on Market. Watch us. We also have purchase apps, and we have uh, the inventory situation, but new listings specifically. So let's talk about purchase apps, then we'll go back to new listings. Yeah, purchase apps. You know, whenever whenever you work with weekly data, whenever there's a violent move in rates, up or down, it can really impact the weekly data. So, purchase application data has been down in the last two weeks, eighteen percent negative week to week. We're we're actually back down to nineteen ninety five levels today. Um, uh, and again, when you're dealing with very high velocity data, you got to be careful of how you interpret it. Like when we went on CNBC, we said everyone needs to like relax. And like, don't overplay this bounce. Um, you know, historically, you would see year-over-year increases in purchase apps for many, many months in the strong seasonal period, and that gets us back to normal. Here, we just had a very 
you know, bounce from a very deep dive. Here we have another uh, retracement lower, right? We've gone to 1995 levels. We're actually below the 2014 levels. That's just because the the moves are so violent up or down. You have to be careful in how you interpret that. The three months of positive data is actually more valuable than the two weeks of decline. Remember, 30 to 90 days out purchase application data. So we're already going to focus the tracker on going out. I think the the new thing that we we have to talk about is last year we never really had rates down enough, long enough for it to you know uh, uh, be so impactful. But now that we had three months of of data, when rates spike up like they do in just a matter of weeks. Uh, we have a rate lock issue. That means that people that applied for mortgages in the MBA, you know, just six weeks ago, were thinking, oh, sub six percent housing market, maybe buy downs like at five and a half. Now that it's almost back to seven again, that purchase application uh, might be voided uh, because uh, the rates are high. They might not acquire a property, or even if they're in contract, you know, oh God, rates are spiked up. You know, so we have to start focusing our attention on that because that's historic lab. We saw this in 2013 and 14 when, when back then the drama was rates went from three and a half to four and a half percent, and we saw cancellations and we saw uh, demand getting hit uh, back then. Now, existing home sales went under five million back then. Um, so uh, that's something to keep an eye out going out and forward. It's very hard to track that on a weekly basis. You're going to see that filter in the pending home sales and existing homes, but. Some of the data, the positive data in the last week, unless rates come back down again, uh, uh, can be uh, have a question mark, an asterisk around it. So on the housing market tracker this uh, this week, you, you always talk about three things. You talk about purchase apps, you talk about inventory, and you talk about mortgage rates because of all of those things are very much, you know, affect each other. So what was some of the things that that were surprising over the weekend? And I will say you get your data now, this weekly data from where? From Altos Research, which means I get to play God on the weekend because nobody else has it, <laughs> and I can talk about it, and it's, it's just not fair. It's just not there. I, I cannot have access to this much data uh, uh, where everyone else does it because I, I I'm like literally up to like one in the morning, and I'm just having too much fun. And I, I always tease people uh, like what could happen, and then it becomes this you know discussion on Twitter. But the one thing that was troubling is that the year-over-year new listings data had a very noticeable decline, like a real big-time hit. Uh, uh, and again, we're, we're after, after June of last year, uh, new listings data was actually growing above uh, uh, 2021 levels. And then when rates got to 6% plus, it just the entire market shifted. And we've got nothing this year. We have no year-over-year growth. They're all negative. Uh, and this happened with rates falling. So you can see my mortgage rate locked out the year I don't like. Um, but uh, um, that's that's not what you want to see. Uh, you It just shows to me that the total cost of housing for people living at home, it, the the idea of moving, it's just, it just doesn't really appeal to them. Nor they, or some people just can't afford it. But to have the lowest year-over-year February new listings prints ever recorded in history now, oh, man. So again, first of all, problems. Americans are doing good. There's no stress. There's no panic. I remember the whole professional grift in the end of 2021 was that once mortgage rates get above 4%, 
People will rush to the hills and sell to get out because everybody is a Wall Street analyst or a stock trader and panicky all the time. No, um, clearly that didn't happen. Uh, but now it's even uh, it, it's getting to the point to where we are getting to levels that are just troubling in the sense. And uh, we'll see if what happens with mortgage rates in the future. But we have now evidence two times where rates were falling. The new listings data really didn't uh, improve. So, uh, and again, with rates spike up so much so fast, people just, it's not a savagely unhealthy housing market, but I I would say this is not a functioning marketplace with how fast rates are moving up and down, right? Because, you know, as a seller, you're thinking, okay, 6% rates, I'm okay and everything. And then all of a sudden you start to project, and then all of a sudden you're at seven. Uh, Again, it's not a functioning, it just shows that the country. This is what happens with third world countries when the dollar gets strong. Their rates go up and down and crazy, and nobody can make a decision. Uh, well, we are very, very gun shy on listing homes now, uh, um, and I don't believe this makes things easier uh, with how fast rates move up or down. Uh, we need a little bit more stabilization in that, just to get uh, uh, some people thinking. Okay, I don't have to worry about you know, rates jumping up on me. So time will tell on that story. I think the volatility is just killing it every way around. Because if we knew, okay, they're going to stay at this level, then people can plan that. Or if it's higher or lower, that's fine. If it just stays someplace for a while, it would be helpful. So it, I mean, I, I tell you, it's just the, the year-over-year decline from using 2022 comps, which weren't very big historically, you know, we it was like forty nine thousand new listings, and now down to forty two thousand year over year. I mean, that's that's the that's the troubling part. It's new listings data is very seasonal, but to have year over year decline still continuing after um, what we saw in June, even with rates falling last year toward the end of last year to even this year, it's just. You know, this was a topic of much conversation on social media this uh, weekend. And then as a result, between you and I, because I was uh, so dismayed to see some pretty big voices talking about an inventory. We're going to have so much inventory that we're going to have a housing crash, especially building inventory, new building. And it's like, I don't understand. The data is so easy to find. They're crazy. They're crazy. They're crazy people. I mean, I, I like I've always said, people don't realize they're part of a cult. Because I mean, if you want to talk about the easiest data to ever read, it's total total active listings. Now, the counter to my thesis is that they know they're lying. They cannot garnish attention by telling people the truth. Why do you think I challenge everyone? I challenge everyone to like, I literally this week, I said, I please anyone in the history of the planet or today, come take me on a live debate on this inventory. Cause you have people out there who are like, Oh my God, inventory spiking inventories. Oh, by the way, oh, let, let me tell you the trick here. The professional grift of housing over the years has been, we will not talk about the seasonal increase in context to the history historical data, we're gonna we're gonna front load. Oh my god! Every it happens every year for like eight nine years. I see this seasonal inventory increases. The the panically the the demagogues of our society sit there and go, look at that inventory is increasing. Inventory is increasing. So they don't ever show the the long term charts. This is why I knew this was going to be the case eventually. Like when when demand actually gets hit, everyone's going to overplay the inventory situation. That's why I created the long term charts. How do you fight? 
radicals or extremists. You fight them with facts and data. And then you don't actually just let them slide. You challenge them to live debates. Like I had a stock trader yesterday who literally is telling me 1.7 million homes are going to come onto the market. And I was like, do you have any idea how the builders operate and that those homes in theory are in contracts? And that 1.7 million is not single family homes, right? There's the multifamily aspects. There's a single family aspect. And then I said, do you know how many homes are in the market right now? New homes that are active listings? I don't know, four or five, six of no, 71,000. If you look at the history of like, you know, how many active listings, it's 80 to 120,000. We're not even back to normal. Builders do not flood a marketplace. It goes against their business interests. So you have people like realizing, oh God, the builder stocks are rally. How is that possible? It's because you fundamentally never read how the business model works for them. They don't just, oh, so I, I can't, the only way I could, I could defeat these people is to get them on live debates. And they're smart enough to realize to know what I would do, right? I would simply just show them because uh, me, it's like, I got to do this in front of your family, your coworkers, your friends, and your kids. And then I want to see if you were going to lie to them. Because if you could lie to them about that, you could lie to them about everything. That's why we do these live, we challenge people to live debates. Visually, people can see their faces and their names. 99.9% of the time, nobody wants any of this, right? Because they know what I'm going to do. I'm going to just show the historical data and I'm just like, okay. And I even this morning, I'm dealing with people. There's a massive inventory because there's nobody buying homes in X. And I was like, you all are crazy, right? And the whole forbearance, remember the forbearance crash bros? We had the forbearance data yesterday, right? And I was like, hey, hey, you give, listen, we have to do this as a country. You see a forbearance crash, bro, you give that person a hug, okay? You have to give this because the fantasy that they had was pushing that millions and millions of Americans were going to lose their homes. And they were, they were like joyful about it because they're crazy. These people are nuts. These are what fanatics have done in the history of the human civilization for like thousands of years. But here, the data was even getting better. And even yesterday, Sarah, even yesterday, you had people tweeting that, oh, it doesn't mean that if they're leaving forbearance that they're okay. These people are crazy. They've completely they, lost their mind. They are. And I think that's what I saw this weekend is you had all of these real estate you know, um, agents and, and people maybe who don't follow this as, as closely as some other people, you know, just in so much fear going, oh my gosh, what about this market? What about, and this person was like, oh yeah, here's the crash. And this is a big account. This is something that they, they should Listen, absolutely it's, know it's, better. And it was. It's a grift because they do this every year. It's like, it's like they take the seasonal price, like, like, you know, uh, see, this is a seasonal strong pricing period. And then the second half is the seasonal declines. Like for every year during the last eight years, whenever seasonal prices are, are falling, they always say, oh, look, prices are crashing. They do it every year. I just think to myself, you live once in this life. You live in the United States of America in 2020. You hit the golden jackpot. You know, you, right. life was a lot harder back in the 17 and 1800s. And you're wasting your life doing this. Like how messed up do you have to be? And then they never stop. So how do you stop them? You get these people on live debates because once people get to visually see this, it's going to be such a destruction thing that everyone starts. Because what I believe the country is, the country loves leadership, but they also love a show. And if you get, you can't, you can't yeah. take take out nameless people on Twitter, man. 
because they hide around me. But if you get people physically on a camera and then you start lighting people up, then they're going to go, oh, and then, I mean, let's be honest, the reason they don't do it is because they're going to, Logan's going to point out that I'm a professional grifter for 10 years and that I'm lying to people. So that's why we've only got one person to take the debate. And let, trust me, if anybody follows me on Twitter, no, I do the build a butcher gift all the time. We are ready for war 24-7, any day, all day, let's go, right? But you're not going to hide behind a stupid Twitter account. You're going to be live on camera. Okay. Yes, absolutely. If anyone wants to take that challenge, contact me, Sarah at hwmedia.com or Logan at hwmedia.com. We are out of time today, but Logan, thanks for going through so many things. We will have more fights about the mortgage rate lockdown. Uh, that's fine. If you, if you, if you want to lose on this, Sarah, that's fine because I am not, I'm not changing my mind. I, I that, that whole thing. <laughs> I don't plan to lose. Okay. We will fight about this again at another time, but uh, thanks to all our listeners and thanks to you, Logan. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.